All right, if we celebrate how anointed you are and how much you desire to see God use you in this church in World Missions. So Philip Sharon, would you give us just a quick introduction or an overview about who you are, about Overland, and from there we'll kind of pick up the conversation. Thank you, Pastor Kevin and Maria. Um, firstly, it's just an honor for us to be here at Calvary. You know, this church, um, we've been in America for over 20 years. We actually, our international headquarters is in Cocoa Beach. Um, people ask me all the time, why Cocoa Beach? Because when you're a foreigner and you don't have family in a country, you get to choose where to live. <laughs> um, but being from there, um, the reputation that this church has had over the generations and its centrality to the move of God that happened here is um, wide, widely known and I had known about it. So being here today is a real honor for Sharon and I. And it just really, really is. So we're just great, grateful to be here. Um, obviously, Philip, my wife's Sharon, uh, she was raised in, born in Portugal, raised in Brazil. That's why she sneaked off into the into the Portuguese service. <laughs> but uh, we actually, I don't know how you got her out of that service, back into this <laughs> service. But um, we, uh, Sharon was raised in a missionary family, um, parents, um, pioneer missionaries, parents out of Northern Ireland and England, coming out of the Welsh revival as pioneer missionaries into Portugal and then into Brazil. And um, I was born and raised in South Africa and uh, was born again at 14 in, the, in, a, in a move of God, a Pentecostal move of God that happened through Africa and God touched my life and much has happened since. But um, we, we're the founders of Overland Missions and um, it's a great organization and it would be characterized by a great team. We are team builders and we are not building an organization on iconic relationships, but on a great team. And we're seeing a massive influence around the world and a very large growing footprint um, that we are seeing God touch the people. So that's, that's us. We are, we are better known for our expeditions into remote areas around the world, up the Amazon, Southeast Asia, and all over Central Africa, um, working with remote people and people who haven't uh, had, the, had the gospel ever preached to them or have had an inferior version of the gospel arrive um, and never really received the truth. So we'll establish in those areas permanent mission centers. We will provide a permanent messaging system of the gospel to them through long-term missionaries that live there and um, begin influence in those areas on a minimum five-year commitment per sector. So that's a 3,500-foot flyover for you. No, thank you very much, because um, I would love for Calvary to see that we're not speaking in, in Overland, we're not just speaking about one location, you're speaking about continents, and you're speaking about um, nations, and, and there's the logistics to support that. You know, because you hear people say, we're going to the unreached people groups, and we're going to do that. So how do you do that, and what does that mean? Because you hear that, but paint a picture for us Finding an unreached people group, how do you get there and how do you resource that? Um, <clears throat> you know, firstly, I want to say that we're a spirit-filled organization. So everything always is prompted by the moving of the Holy Spirit. We are not just um, pointing fingers on a map. Uh, it's very easy to do, but um, we are really are being led by the Holy Spirit a lot of the time. And when the Holy Spirit prompts us with a region, and this is probably why we've been chosen for this, because when we get that prompting, we actually go. <laughs> yeah. And we plan it through, and we end up delivering on what we feel God's, God's called us to in that region, which is, um, it, you know, it, it, it's a professional type of operation. You can't just decide one day you're going to do this. You, you have to, there's a lot of back-end knowledge to make it happen. For example, um, um, DRC Congo, I just one, one, one thought, probably one of the hardest countries we work in, um, took us seven years to establish our paperwork. And our paperwork involved us raising up a Congolese man, putting him through law school, getting his law degree, representing us as a lawyer, 
getting our paperwork in Kinshasa from Labambashi. Every time, in, in, in Congo, there's no um, uh, computerized paperwork. You're stamping everything with colored stamps. So if you have like 20 different colored stamps, that's when you know your paper's verified. But someone will find a colored stamp that's not on your paper, which means another flight to, 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 to Kinshasa. Um, and we got, a, we got a photograph one day, um, and our, our lawyer, our, our, um, our team member, his name was Gaston. He actually was our first taxi driver. He was a taxi driver, picked us up at the airport, one of our teams, and that's, that was how God raised him. Um, he sent us a photo one day of Gaston. He had died in a motor car accident on the side of a road in Congo. And next to his body was lying all of our paperwork sprawled across the road, seven years of work. And we knew there's no way getting that back. You know, it's, it's, it's over. So when we say establishing in a country, we, we think of all these things in our mind. You know, we're going to say, oh, we're going to go back to Cambodia and put an office in. All of these things run through our mind of establishing, getting, getting a fixed permanent um, work permits and all those things in countries. So those are all the back end of making it yeah, happen. Yeah, it's one of the things I always loved about the way that you have all built your ministry is sometimes we don't see the the scope of what it is to build a long-lasting, established work in a nation. We we hear the crusades where people swoop in and do a crusade, but what you're doing with Overland is sustainable. There's the logistics to back it up. You have the resources, you know, the legal side. You have the 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 the, the people, human resource to go. You have all these things structured in because you genuinely are changing and shaping long term these areas. They're not just quick things you can take photos and say, look at all these people that raised their hand. But you're there to stay and bring the kingdom of God to that nation. Is that correct? That's what it takes. Yeah. It's, it's what it takes. You know. Um, some, um, Sharon could probably answer this being, um, a, lot, a lot of people ask us, can you do this? How do you do this? You know, how do you do this with a family? And um, it really requires you being present. It, you can't, you, can't um, you know, Paul sent a living epistle. You can't just send emails to people. It's not sufficient to build a quality discipleship. It has to be present to, to infuse the DNA of the kingdom of God. And and all of these things are required to make people present. But you could share a little bit about living in third world. Um, before I do that, I just want to greet the church. I'm so excited to be here in Orlando. Uh, I must confess, well, two things. One, I already feel at home because I went and I greeted your Brazilian church. And apart from the glory of God that fills this place, fills your life, and blesses you, you're also blessed with the Brazilian church. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. You are doubly blessed in this building. Um, and, and the other thing I need to confess is that usually, because Philip and I, we spend six months of the year here, six months traveling to other nations, um, or six months in Africa and then in, in other southern um, nations around the world, um, that we usually when we're here, I must confess, I do the trip from Cocoa Beach to this side, usually to come to a mall, because <laughs> we don't have the big malls. So to come to a church in Orlando and the body of Christ is just, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I know God is in this place, is moving the history you have here, but beyond that, just, just that people show up for God, that people show up for God, you know God is going to respond. And it's the same thing that we do when we're in the mission field. There are people that are hungry, that are thirsty, that are, are, are desperate for an answer, and they don't have one. And when you're faced with that reality, and you know that you carry inside of you the Word of God, you carry inside of you the, the answer for the cries of the mothers, of the children, of the grandparents, you carry it within you every single day of your life. And you're faced with that reality that these people have not heard yet. It's very easy to say yes. Um, Phil is talking about the Congo. The group of missionaries that we have there right now is, is three. Well, one just got married just this past weekend. We were at their wedding in Zambia. We just arrived in America on Tuesday. But before this girl was married, the team that was there was one man and two girls. And 
two ladies, two women, and if, if you knew the quality of these women and, and, and the, the man that's there also, but if you knew the quality of these people, how the decisions they had to make to get into Congo um, and the, the things that they have to go through to get into Congo, to get established, first of all, just their rental in Congo. Everything in Africa has their own currency, but Congo. Congo, everything is in dollars. Um, the, the price that they have to pay, but it's an easy, if you talk to these, the, these three missionaries, now four with Savior, if you talk to them, it's, it really isn't a cost. It's, it's just, it's what you do. People are hungry for the Lord. You have the message. And then when you're there and you're seeing God move and you're seeing people respond, then you can't leave. I think it's the way that the Holy Ghost has of trapping you in the mission field. Because <laughs> he moves when you are there. And then you see that the response and you see the need. And, and then it's, it's kind of an easy, you count the cost, but it's an easy commitment to stay. Real quick, how many missionaries are you currently sending and how many nations are they in? We have just over 200 long-term, full-time. Uh, by the end of this year, it'll be about 250 because of the process. And we're permanently established in 17 countries at this point. It's without short-term missions. Doing what are some countries. of those countries? Yeah, celebrate that. Um, Brazil, Brazil and Amazon, um, Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Vietnam. Um, um, I can't mention some countries in the, in the, in the Middle East right. and, um, and certain Southeast Asian countries. Um, and in North Africa, several countries in North Africa, which you can't mention. Then there is... Um, Central Africa, Mozambique. Bo, Bo is here, our country director of Mozambique. He's sitting over there. Uh, Mozambique, uh, Angola, Congo, Zambia, Tanzania, Zanzibar. Um, Madagascar, Morocco. So the reason I bring that up is when they started, it was Philip and Sharon and a Bible, and they went. And now it's over 217 nations. God will be faithful if you will go and you will do what he's called you to do. God will develop and do what he's promised. So I love, we just love Overland in general, but some people might be wondering in myself, I, I know the answer, but 250 missionaries by the end of the year. So how do you find them? And what does that training process look like for these missionaries that are on your team? Um, so we, we now have, uh, we call it a, a recruiting team. Before it was literally Philip and myself, we were just, we had a car, we were donated a minivan at some point, and so the minivan become our, became our house, and we just traveled across um, uh, the eastern side of America, going to whatever church would have us at the time, um, and just sharing the vision that we had for the nations and inviting people to come with us. Now we've, we've developed a, a recruiting team, and it's a, a number of young people on fire for God that love the Word of God, that love the, the Lord, and know who they are in Christ, um, that will travel along America, along, in America and some other nations, and um, going to churches and schools and universities. And so we go to, to places and we find anybody. I promise you, you, you don't have to know that you have the call of God in your life. You just have to have an inclination. <laughs> you just, your nose just needs to be pointing in the right direction. If we see you, we're going to grab you. Because we know that once God grabs a hold of your life, he can make anything out of you. Because he's made anything out of us. He's made something out of us. Um, and so then when, we, when these guys sign up, we then take them to Zambia. We've got Zambia and now Mozambique too. We have two mission bases that train our young people. And we put them through a, uh, what we call our advanced missions training. It's a three-month program in Mozambique and a three-month program in Zambia. Um, and then they're going to be taught um, on the Bible. They're going to be um, actually experiencing missions, going out. And, and you can speak more about the whole study process that we go through. Yeah, the training is yeah. excellent. Tell I mean, it is, it's not just for young people, actually. It's, it's, we have families joining, and I think we've graduated 60, 70-year-olds out of it. Uh, but it, it was designed by us for uh, long-term missions, and it's crammed possibly a year's worth of training into a three-month process, and we did it specifically in, in Central Africa. 
People said, just do it in America. We said, no, we can't. We can't give you an irrelevant experience because you're going to make a lifetime choice um, based on that experience. So um, we, we just graduated 50 students. Actually, this week we're graduating, of which 90% of them signed up for long-term missions. Amen. With That's awesome. Mission. Praise God. So it's massive. Yeah, it's huge. So give them a little bit of, of that window. What does it mean to train them? What do you train them in? You train them in the word, train them in spirit, but you know, the trucks, the, the, the tribal experience, all, paint the picture the for practical, them. The practical side of it is, is, is logical and I can deal with that. You know, one of the most difficult things we face, the, the practical side you can give anybody. It's like, here's a welder, I'll teach you how to weld. Here's the paramedics, our doctors come in, teach you the paramedic side. You know, there's a quite simple, what you, What's very tricky today is that um, most Western churches don't prepare their people for world missions. And so a person comes in, they don't even know the gospel, to tell you the truth. They don't know that the, 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 the plan of redemption that God had for mankind and couldn't explain it. And which is okay, it's easy to, 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 to teach people that. What you struggle to unteach people is um, the millennial side of, of behaviors of the West where um, it's hard to unteach. People think that um, they, they come uh, narcissistic in a lot of ways where, where the world revolves around them. If you go to a shopping mall here and it's all done for you, you know what I mean? Set up perfectly for you. Well, in Africa or in Asia, customer is not king. <laughs> if you buy something from a shop and it's broken, and you take it back to that shop, the, the owner will tell you, sorry for you, you, you really got a bad day, didn't you? <laughs> you bought the, the, the broken one. You know, you're not king in, in, in the rest of the world. But um, um, in world mission, it takes some time. So, so setting that new culture of missions is important in the training comes through the preaching of the word. You mentioned last night we were talking just the difference between mindsets of risk avoidance um, and how you, I wrote down risk avoidance, uh, just risk avoidance and vulnerable people and all that mm. kind of stuff. Talk about that mindset shift in missions in general and the idea of playing it safe versus taking big risks for God. Yeah. Um, um, you know, we, we are, you know, professionals, so safety is very important to us. I don't take this on a, on a practical level, but when we are risking, when we are responding to the call of God, we don't put safety first. <laughs> you know, when, when Paul was, was on his way to Rome and uh, was it Agabus came to him and took his belt and tied his hands and said, please don't go to Rome because if you go to Rome, you're going to get beaten. And Paul said to him, I'm broken of heart that you would think of me in this way, that I would put safety first. Mm. You know, the call of God comes first. Safety second, you know? Amen. And so um, risk avoidance, um, we have a friends in, 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 um, in France right now, pioneering a base in France, and France was listed the most risk avoidant country in the world, French people. And I uh, listened to that and I was like, yeah, that's like very much like the modern church, you know, they do everything to first assess risk before mission. And um, for us, it's never like that. We, we're always taking the call of God and then using our experience and our expertise to dodge the bullet so we don't take on, do, do dumb things, you know what I mean? But we, we literally have a course in AMT called Come Back Alive. Yeah, our survival course is called Come Back Alive. It's not about finding water with a smooth stick. It's about how, how to come back alive with... with um, yeah, we teach them not to to um, how to make fire out of sticks, we make sure that they have matches with them when they go to the bush <laughs> so they can start the fire. <laughs> now, I think that's important because sometimes, um, even as a parent, you know, you think um, safety first. I mean, that's huge. Um, but you've got to think back over the generations of preaching the gospel around the world and some of these first people into a country or first people in um, to a new, a new dominion or something. Um, some of these parents, when they sent their kids, they didn't know if they'd ever see those children again. You know, some of these, I think sometimes we forget how important the gospel is to the world. And we think our safety is the most important thing. And there is this sense of do your best, be smart, you know, don't take, you know, risks unnecessarily. But 
this idea that God has sent us into this world and there's risk. There's risk involved, not just physical risk, but risk that you could put a big investment in and it not turn out the way you thought it was going to be. You know, everybody in church wants to do sure things, you know, and sometimes it's, there's risk in vision. Sometimes there's risk in your safety. Sometimes there's risk in relationships. Do you have something you were? I'm done with that. Go ahead. So last night as well, we were talking about the difference between apostolic mission and philanthropic mm. mission. And that was incredibly interesting in our conversation. Did you want to share a little yeah, bit on I'll that? I'll share a little bit about that. Um, you know, the, the, the modern day missions, um, you know, people that come to us often, they say, oh, you're a missionary. We cringe because we don't know what they think a missionary is. You know, like, oh, you're a missionary. We go, well, what was the last missionary you met? Because I, I need to define that before I say yes. Because missions in the Bible was, was messengers sent on a mission. Messengers. The, the, the transformation of nations came through the message. Never came through a philanthropic endeavor where modern-day missions, majority of them is, is, is uh, philanthropic. We're not against philanthropy, but, but if philanthropy leads the mission, the tail's wagging the dog, if you can understand that. And so we, we, we um, have to define what missions is. We've had to define what missions is for us in the, in the modern era and redefine it into the listeners. You know, the, the scripture says, uh, in, two, in Psalm chapter 2, it says, ask me for the nations and I will give them to you. You know, ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them into pieces with an iron rod. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> ask me for the nations and I will give them to you. You will break them into pieces with an iron rod. This was the apostolic yeah. move yeah. of missions. Yeah. was going into a nation taking all of the darkness of Satan and Luciferian spirit that controls that realm and turning it upside down Amen. by the preaching yes. of the word of God Amen. that is not human. Amen. It's not, it's not based on your cologne or your, your personality or your, it is the preaching of the word of God that does that. And so um, I'll tell you a, a story um, just came to mind. We were, we were pioneering in a, in a country called Angola. Angola is in East Africa, on the west side of, sorry, it's west, southern, central Africa. And um, I was a soldier in the war in Angola in my, in my early 20s. And um, so that country was very significant to us, reaching for Christ, and, but we couldn't get in. There was no tourist visas up until about four years ago uh, in the country, and we were struggling to get into this country. And... Um, uh, we were, every year we were trying to send our trucks and it was real tricky. And then we got an open door uh, as we got a business visa and we were planning to do a trip through Namibia and into the country. And these are like four-day drives, by the way. So they're not like to Cocoa Beach and back. It's four days. Our kids, our kids are in the car. We drive four days, 12 hours a day. And, um, and we were driving to the southern border of, of Angola as we were going in, and my phone, I carried two phones, an international phone and a local phone with a local SIM, num, SIM, SIM, SIM cards. And my international phone started ringing, which in Africa is a little strange. I have to answer it, usually coming from abroad. And this was a plus six four number, which is Angola. So I picked up the phone to answer it, and the voice on the other side said this. It said, man of God, I believe you are coming to my country. I wasn't in the country yet. I was just close to the borders. Man of God, I, believe, believe, I hear you are coming to our country. My name is King Mbandu of the Mbundas. Now, I knew the Mbunda people. I didn't know the king. My name's King Mbanda of the Mbundas. I cannot rule my kingdom without you at my side. That's what he said. So, I'm coming into the country. See, I must tell you the difference between philanthropy and apostolic work. When I'm arriving delivering food, I don't get those phone calls. I can't rule my kingdom without you. There's a difference. We imp it's important we have missionaries all over the world having to do philanthropic endeavors. It's not like you, you can't serve the people, but they can't rule the endeavors. And so whenever the anointing of the word of God is central in a mission, 
territory shake, including Orlando and, and your region, because this is a third world country in my opinion. You know, this is, you're just another village for me. Um, with the same exact anthropological issues that every tribe has to reach. You have to figure it out, that's your mission. Figure out your language, figure out your approach, make sure that you're not using cliches, make sure that you are relevant to people. You know, um, um, there is, a, there is a, a concept that America or Western nations, because they are powerfully, pow, powerful economies, they get to point at other nations and say whether they're poor or rich. You know, we, we get to define what poverty is because of our dollar wealth. And Sharon and I were amongst the Mukabau tribe in Angola where we were working. Now, this tribe has no Bible in their, actually no literature ever translated for them. They have no schooling, no mathematics, no, no written language. So the Bible was not written for them. And we established our bases amongst the Mukabau and the Huila tribes about six, seven years ago. So we were sitting down with the pioneering part of that Mukabau trips. And um, the Mukabau people asked Sharon and I how many children we had. When I said two, it's like they started wanting to take up an offering for us. Like, these people are the poorest people we've ever met in our life. You only have two children, you know. And then they had to ask me how many wives you got. I said, I only have one. Oh, of course, they started crying at that point. You poor man. You poor, poor, poor man. You know. Literally, they thought we were poor. Poor people. You know, how we think rich is just wealth. It's just cash. They find wealth in community. Um, so you can't use dollars to establish poverty. The gospel looks at every person as rich. Amen. It doesn't say you're poor, you're rich. It says you have become rich. Actually, Paul said, you became kings without me. They're already kings. Someone's just got to tell them. I mean, it would be really bad if we arrived as missionaries and told them they were poor. (laughs) That is not gospel. You know, we had um, an organization come and and want to offer us this apparatus that they would plan was going to change Africa. And remember, the only thing that changes Africa is the, is the DNA of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the only thing. So when people come with apparatus, I just, I've seen so much apparatus in my life. I go, what, tell me, another solar panel, another little gimmick, you know. So anyway, they had this apparatus, and it was to, to help the children. And, and I'd said to them, you know, listen, if you give me one of these things, you're going to have to give me one for every village. Because now I'm in established poverty to the village that doesn't have your apparatus because it's nicely colored and, and makes it look great. Um, that's not the apostolic pioneering of the gospel that, that is necessary to shake nations. And I'll, I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, um, we had the Emperor Mantiav come visit us at, at Rapid 14. So if you know anything about Central African history, uh, this is happening not only in, in Africa, by the way, it's happened in Brazil, in Amazon, it's happening in Asia. Wherever we go, this happens. But this is a story I'll tell you. Because once you put gospel first and the anointing of the Holy Ghost through the, the word of God upon people, it shakes everything. Politicians arrive. All of the heads of communities arrive. It just organically happens when you put the gospel first. So we were um, in, in, in Central Africa. There's one emperor that through which whose through which whose loins come most of the tribes of Southern Africa. And he's a very, very sought after man. He's of the Lundaluba Empire. And um, he's just, it's hard to get to him and have him befriend him in any way. And we had a situation where we had our missionaries in prison in Congo and, um, and he released them from prison and we met with him and told him what was happening in Central Africa through the traditional leaders. We're seeing all traditional leaders in the nation of Zambia, all touched by the gospel through us putting a pastor as their senior advisor in every palace in the nation. That was gazetted by the government of Zambia for us to do. It was amazing. 
I want to make sure that you're listening to what's being said because you were leading in a conversation and then you transitioned into what's happening with the traditional leaders and mm. the emperor and all this. Please get on the, I want you to do this, move your, adjust your posture and I want you to lean forward because this is really the crux of part of the vision of what's happening right now, like on the cutting edge of what God is doing in Africa. I want you to hear the importance of the traditional leaders, kind of explain the governance, explain the, the, what's happening and then what they're asking you to do so that they can kind of catch this vision. Mm. What's happening with the traditional leaders? Just in a nutshell, in, in Central Africa, um, traditional leaders, chiefs, senior chiefs, kings and emperors and paramount chiefs, um, they, they are apolitical. They, they, are, they are lineage rulers. They don't, they're, not, they're not voted in. They're there for life. And so they are more powerful than the political leaders of the region. So political leaders have to win the traditional leaders because then they get the votes. So there's always this battle between traditional leaders, political leaders in Central Africa. Very powerful men and women in, in, in the nations of, Afri of Central Africa. Several years ago, God gave us favor amongst the traditional leaders. And um, we saw something which I've never even read of such a powerful move of God in world missions, where the traditional leaders of a nation all got given to one organization. Actually, they call us their pastors. And the traditional leader is usually the, the seat of witchcraft of, of a nation. The palace is known as the seat of witchcraft of the, of the, the tribe. And every palace in the country of Zambia, we got commissioned to put a pastor or a chaplain inside the palace to, to be the main advisor to that chief. Can you, and, can you celebrate that? Did you hear that? All of the palaces in all of these nations of Africa have asked or requested not to be the center of witchcraft, or they may still be there, but to bring in a pastor being trained with the gospel yeah. through what God's doing with over. And we're training them. Yeah, you're and training so, them. And so we're Pentecostals. Hallelujah. <laughs> the first thing you're gonna you're gonna get hands laid on, you're gonna speak in tongues, you're gonna be led by the Holy Spirit, then you're gonna speak by the Spirit of God. Amen. We're not gonna give you some manual. <laughs> we're just gonna give you the Holy God. But then there's the teaching and the establishing and then the qualifying and then the, the administration of them in these positions. It's it is mind-blowing. So how many of these chaplains or pastors have you already raised and what's the request? It's 180 at this point. So you've raised 180 pastors and are now standing palaces, next palaces, to palaces yeah. and kings and chiefs of Africa. Yep. 180. Yep. Amen. Talk about uh, the, the, what would you call it, the king's the emperor. center? The emperor oh, the center. king's center. Yeah, yes. I want to talk about that. Um, so we, we, we were seeing this move of God. And, and, and I want to tell you, we can only talk to you in public about it. I can't produce media about it. It would seem, it would look to the chiefs and the kings and the emperors, it would look like I would be monetizing the relationships. Right. So we've not let any of the media in to film what's going on. Um, because it's been so precious and so sensitive and so great for God's name and his kingdom. And it was working without the media. We didn't need them to approve it. Uh, Christian media that was and so um, um, we we started figuring out ways in which to sustain the move of God you know less three or four years from now it starts we start losing gravity of what's going on so we we, we, we put together well by the Spirit of God we, we had this plan to put this what's called the King Center together which was um, which is a center we're building at Rapid 14. Rapid 14 is, we saw the video, it's downstream of the great Victoria Falls. We own all the land, Rapid 13, 14, some of the most significant land in Africa. And it was, and it was given to you? It was given to us by Munukalia Mukuni, Paramount Chief Mukuni. And on Rapid 13, we're going to build what's called the King Center. It's going to be a retreat conference center for traditional leaders on the continent of Africa and around the world. On our board of Overland is, is Matthew Kuncum, the Grand Chief of all First Nations of Canada. He's the eagle, wears the eagle feathers for Canada and he's known as one of the top um, uh, North American chiefs, including in North America. 
Uh, so it's not just it's the North American Indians, it is, it is the Africans. We were invited to, to Uganda, to the gathering of kings in the north of, of North Africa. So all of them included, this will be the first ever uh, conference center dedicated to traditional leaders around the world, managed by us for them to come for, for free. To come and we're building a high-end, our vision is a high-end accommodations on the precipice of the gorges for chiefs to come in so we can continue an apostolic administration amongst them in the nations. We start that next year. And so when they come to the center, how will Overland be involved in that and how will that perpetuate the relationship? It's on our property and it's administrated by us. So what it'll do, it'll facilitate relationships between us and them to deploy missionaries in their regions. So relationships, if you know traditional leaders, it's all relational. You can't, you can't just have a five-minute meeting and leave. No, you have to have a meal. You've got to greet them. And if you greet them, better ask them how their children are doing. And it's really, everything's relational. If you know South America, Central, uh, all of the third, second world nations, all relational. So that uh, relationship is important to us. Also the way we operate, because in Zambia and in other nations, we'll send teams out, evangelism teams out, not only discipleship teams, but evangelism. And to every new area that we go, our first thing that we do is we look for the head man. He's, he would be like the mayor of the village. We look for the head man to ask permission to come. Because if you have his permission, then the entire village will come listen to you. And then we also ask the chief. He's the chief of the whole region. We call them sectors. And we put missionaries in each sector where we can. We have missionaries who have a relationship with the chief. So we, have, we approach the headman and we approach the chief to get their permission because if you have their blessing, now you have the entire sector, their entire kingdom open to the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, and so building the king's center is gonna be significant, it'll be the first in the world and it's in the most significant area of the world. And it's gonna probably be one of the most powerful apostolic logistical things we do in the next 20 to 30 years. No. For, for the content, long term. You have to see the long term. It's, 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 yeah. it's got to be there. So we're seeing that happen. But, you know, I, I want to share just something quickly uh, to, to this congregation. Um, you know, when Paul, Paul went to Athens and he preached at, the, the, at the, um, the foot of the temple of Athena, and he preached uh, to, the, to the unknown God. Remember that, yeah. that, that part of the scripture? And uh, that day that he was preaching, um, he, it says that um, only two people responded to his message. It was Dionysus and a woman by the name of um, Damaris responded to his message that day. That powerful meeting, Dionysus responded and Damaris. Um, Paul, his whole understanding of the kingdom was that if he could deliver the gospel into one person, it would be enough to shake a city and a nation. Do you know that Dionysus, when he left Athens and he went back to, to uh, Rome and Jerusalem, by Antioch, he, the, the Dionysus went on to shake the city of Athens and completely remove the Greek uh, religion, the Roman and Greek religion, completely off the map of the history of the world. Mm -hmm. They no longer worshipped the, oh, the, um, the 12 Roman gods. And Greek, uh, Greek and Roman you know, it merged the Greek gods. He no longer, they no longer worshiped, they went to Christianity. And so much so that today in, in Athens, Dionysus is the patron saint of Athens. So when Paul went to Athens, he said, just this one guy standing there responded. It was enough for Paul. He was, he was satisfied. Okay, now we can shake the city because I have someone who's surrendered, who completely understands redemption who understands the finished work, who has immersed himself in Christ Jesus. Enough, I'm heading out here, I'll leave it to you, Dionysus. To find out later, historically, remove, I have never heard of anyone remove a religion yeah. completely off a historic map. Yeah. Um, but I wanna say that because 
You seated here today are wondering how do I participate in world missions? You have a career. You have your life. Maybe you're a young person. You have your life ahead of you. I want to tell you, God doesn't look at you by your history. He doesn't look at you by the profiling that was done by your university profiler to, to set your career ahead of you. He looks at you in terms of his anointing that came on you through the blood of Jesus, that filled you, that made you a new creation, that actually, actually ended the bloodline of Adam's nature in you and put his nature in you. This is how he sees you. He doesn't see any limits on you. In fact, you may be here today and you've got a backstory that's horrific of abuse, of failure, of bankruptcy. You can list those things to me. I am refused to assess you by those things. Amen. I cannot, through the scriptures, look at you by your past. I have to look at you through the eyes of the finished work of Jesus. And that's how God sees you. And that's why there's hope for the city of Orlando. Amen. Because you're not just sitting here broken people. There's nothing broken about you. Amen. Yeah, celebrate that. Come on now. Amen. The devil loves to remind you of, of your weakness. But God doesn't see it. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, all of heaven rose to their feet and began to cheer the new creation, the finished work of Jesus. That was you. All of heaven began to cheer. I don't believe they've sat down yet. Amen. Amen. In fact, you may come to the throne of God with your life and, and all of your weakness and complain before God. Oh, Lord, look at me. I'm the wrong race. I'm the wrong gender. I got no hair. I'm fat. I'm thin. I got no teeth. I've got, you know, you can, everyone's got an excuse before the throne. I can imagine everyone's cheering going, what are they? You know, they're just, they're celebrating a a, a triumphant victory of the resurrection and you bringing some messaging to the cross that's got nothing to do with this victory that you live in, that you thrive in, that you are a product of. That in fact, when Jesus, when, when Jesus was, when stands on, on, the, on the Passover, when he was at the Passover and the disciples came and said, Jesus, the Greeks have come. Now would be a great time to show your glory to the Greeks. And he said to them, go tell the Greeks, my time has not come. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He said, go tell the Greeks that when I die, everyone that comes after me would show my glory in its fullness. Amen. Everyone. Yeah. And so I want to tell you, in world missions, in, 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 in world missions, which is every single human being on earth is the mission field. It's not a geographical boundary that makes you a missionary, by the way. Um, in world missions, the most powerful component to the success of world missions is sitting in this room right now. It's you. Amen. And all it requires is you submitting your life to the finished work, to agree with God at the cross on what he has done in you. You can't agree with your weakness. That's not the success recipe of winning, that's of good. shaking nations. Yeah, that's good. And I want to share a word with, with your church that I felt as I came up, I felt I had a word for your church. Um, and, and it concerns the purpose of your church. And it's out of Isaiah chapter 41, verse 14. It says, it just says something to this effect, and you can put it up on screen if you want. It says, um, O worm Jacob, in which Jacob was considering himself weak. He said, I will, um, you want to put it up so I'll get it? I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to open it up quick. Um, this is the verse that I felt was for the church. Fear not, you worm Jacob. You men of Israel, I will help, says the Lord. 
and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. I want to add the teeth to that. Now, there's some teeth. There's teeth to this thing. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff and winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the, whir and the whirlwind will, will scatter them. Fear not, you worm Jacob. When we consider ourselves in the light of our weakness, our, our humanity, you get subjected to that future. But when you submit yourself to the finished work of Jesus, of who you are, in the truth, in the legal implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get a threshing sledge with sharp teeth. And I want to say to you, uh, Calvary, that this new season that you're in, is, it's like a sickle, it's like a sickle has been put in your hand and that sickle's got sharp teeth this time. And what those teeth are is yet to be found out. It's like I can, I can assume some things. I can think of some, some, some um, powerful methods through which you can thresh your mountains. But God's going to reveal them to you, what the sharp teeth are. But God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a threshing uh, tool that's got sharp teeth and you will take these mountains and you will thresh them make them small the whirlwind and the whirlwind's going to blow them away Amen. let me just say that the whirlwind the whirlwind of the holy ghost the wind the mighty rushing wind we cannot give up on the spirit of god and the holy ghost and the early church that we are to allow him to move and make this mission work amen Amen. We receive that as a word from the Lord, and we look forward to how God's going to bring that to pass. You had a thought about a, a scripture you wanted to share in closing. Mm. Do you want to share that as well I'll, as we kind of come it. land this thing? Yeah, I, I want to share, like, I feel like today I, I don't want to leave here by presenting you a great organization and an amazing uh, fantasy of world world changing and third world nations, I want to leave here today imparting something into this church. And um, I know specifically what it is in my spirit. And the scripture God gave me was, was the, out of the book of Philippians, where the Philippian church had issues, and Paul couldn't go to them to help them. You know, the nation has an issue right now, your nation. Not only the nation, but the church, the churches of this nation, the church has an issue. It needs remedy. And so Paul said to the Philippian church, he said, I find it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow soldier, my fellow worker, our messenger. I'm going to send to you Epaphroditus to bring healing, the healing balm to the generation. The brother, the, um, the soldier, the worker, and the messenger. I believe that God wants to impart into you a Epaphroditus, a spirit of the healing balm of the human uh, uh, living epistle that comes into a generation and makes the difference, makes the change. I know that you, so we sometimes think, oh, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to save the day. Nobody just saves the day just because they, they come out of the, the boxing ring ready for the fight. You know, you, you, can, you, can, you can approach the, the, the octagon um, and go into a fight with Mike Tyson Hopped up as much as you want on Hillsong yeah. and, and, and Bethel and all of your music. Guess what? If you're not ready for the fight, you're going to get taken out in the first blow. Entering this field, Epaphroditus was, was a brother. He understood his identity in Christ Jesus. He was a soldier. He was disciplined. 
he understood submission to authority. He was a worker. He was not afraid to get his hands dirty and get them calloused. And he was a messenger. He didn't let the tail wag the dog. He hadn't given into philanthropy and said, the gospel doesn't work anymore. I'm just going to deliver packets of food. He understood the message, the powerful message of Jesus Christ. And I want to pray, and I'm going to do this this morning. If, if you would, actually, I want, to, I want to say that if you, and I'm, I'm hoping it's everybody in the building, but if you want to be that Epaphroditus, if you want to receive an anointing, and I believe in that transfer of the anointing, if you want to receive that anointing this morning of Epaphroditus for your generation, your country, your churches, that God would use you, and He will. If you want to receive that this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I, play, as I pray for you this morning as a church. And as, as you stand, just put your hand on your heart. There's a, there's a, there's a sickle with sharp teeth coming to Calvary. <laughs> Father, as your church stands to their feet right now, Father, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit, the mighty rushing wind of God, to touch every life in this room right now. I pray that you erase the memory of failure and of pain and of bankruptcy and of abuse from every single life. You erase the memory right now in Jesus' name. And you fill every single mind with the potential and the possibilities of the finished work of Jesus Christ in their lives right now in Jesus' name. I pray for every young person that is in this building as they stand to their feet. I, I lay my hands upon their futures and I cancel the plan of the enemy over their lives right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your calling upon lives here this morning. That you call people. Give them a direction, a purpose. Give them a voice. Give them an anointing. Give them an unction in the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, right now, by your power, fill every life. Fill every life right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. And because of this, Father, I thank you that nations are going to shake. That you're going to give purpose. And you're going to break them into, you're going to break those nations with a rod of iron. I thank you this morning that, that your message and the unction of your message fills every life. And that powerful voices emerge from this place in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.